Hey Atari Hackers, welcome to this week's podcast episode. In this episode, we are going to be sharing the tactics that we have used to collect almost 250,000 emails in the online marketing niche. But don't worry, these tactics don't just apply to online marketing. We've also used them in the health industry, for example, so you can definitely replicate them on your site. So if you've been looking to get out of the SEO rat race, running just after review keywords, build a real community around your website, start selling products and kind of elevate your business model, this is a podcast for you. And I hope you're excited. Let's get started. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Hey everyone, welcome to the Atari Hacker Podcast. In today's episode, we are going to be talking about building an email list. And it's been kind of a craze recently, like basically it's been a trend for a while that nobody talks about building email list again. And then in 2020, Morning Brew sold for to Business Insider for $74 million and everyone starts building an email list again. The good news is we've been building email lists for the better part of a decade now with Mark. And so we have a lot of things to talk about when it comes to collecting an email list from a perspective of running a website, running a publishing business, etc. And that's exactly what we're going to do in this episode today. But before we're going to make sure that Mark's doing okay. So how's it going, Mark? It's going good. Thanks, Gail. And I'm looking forward forward to talking about this actually because it's not a subject we really get to talk about so often on the podcast. I know there's a lot of people that like it and are very interested in it, but it just doesn't do as well as content or links or AI. So, you know, the algorithms steer us in that direction, but I'm, I'm a little bit. To this one. But I kind of like, yeah, I kind of want to like broaden things up a bit because I feel like, especially in the age of AI, like people need to broaden up their traffic sources. They need to broaden up how they engage people, like engagement is going to be more important, etc. So I think both because it's interesting and because we actually have lots of experience in, as we said in a podcast episode, I don't know what the number will be on the podcast because we'll put the number at the time when we record the podcast, but we're closing on 250,000 collected emails on Atari Hackers. So that gives you an idea. We've done this quite a bit and we've done uh, other 100,000 plus email list so like we've done that quite a bit basically i think the thing that's just so good about an email list is you know you have uh sorry two hundred fifty thousand tiktok followers or even youtube subscribers right it's it's not that valuable versus you know you have two hundred fifty thousand emails of interested people then you can do a lot with that you a lot more it's with not that, just that it's like the social media like social media platforms they basically use you while you're interesting and then they just pick you away regardless of how many uh, followers you have like there are many channels on youtube like i'm thinking uh ray william johnson like equals three like he used to be big like 10 years ago and now he posts a video and has like 6,000 views despite the fact that he has millions of subscribers from back then. Like the algorithms just block you if they, the platform doesn't like you anymore. Same on Twitter, right? I was active for a few months on there and I kind of like, I was busy with all this stuff. I, I posted less and I was reaching a lot. Like I was getting millions of impressions per month, etc. Like I was doing well. And then I go back on Twitter and now I post again and my reach is like, 10% of what it used to be, despite the fact that my follow account has never been so high. So it's like, even the idea of focusing on follow account on social media, it really doesn't work that way anymore. It's kind of like the recency of engagement you've generated does that. And eventually when you drop off the hamster wheel, you basically lose your reach. And whereas an email list, there is some algorithms like, you know, like a Gmail, Hotmail, etc. They have all their spam filters and so on. They might put you into the priority inbox or into the sponsored inbox, that kind of stuff that will affect your open rate and so on, but not nearly as much as a social media platform will. And so I think 
that is kind of like an, a really good place to go to protect yourself from dropping in rich platform changes. I mean, email is like the oldest platform in the internet, hasn't changed too much. And I think it's pretty good, basically. When I first got into online marketing, I remember someone saying, you know, the money is in the list. And uh, I think that's still true today, as true as it was back then. It's true to an extent. And I think that's where we start the first point of this podcast, which is like a lot of people build an email list for the sake of building an email list because some guy made some money. And I think that's a mistake. I think that what's important is that you have kind of an idea of how you're going to make money from this. And if your idea of how you're going to make money from this is emailing your blog post to your readers, you're not going to make good money from this. It's not worth the effort. Maintaining email list takes time. Uh, the softwares are a bit shit sometimes and just maintain like cleaning it etc it's not good so you really need an idea of how you're going to make money there's basically two ways to make money with an email list one you sell stuff you can sell stuff as an affiliate don't sell amazon stuff i'm not even sure you're allowed to link to amazon in emails if i remember but like you need something that will pay good commissions like at least 100 bucks of commission or 75 or 80 dollars like something like this i wouldn't do email promos for something that pays me less than 50 bucks i think the best is to have your own product. So like you will almost always do better. People will buy more because they subscribe to your email list and you sell your stuff. So you get a, like, you probably triple your conversion rate compared to being an affiliate. And that works pretty well. The second thing that you can do is sell sponsorship, which is quite popular these days. People buy email newsletters, advertising, and it's pays pretty well. It's like the rates can vary quite a lot depending on the niches. Like if you're in finance, it could be over $100 CPM or something, whereas like smaller niches might pay less or if there's less advertisers, etc. So it's pretty good, but you need to know how you're going to make money. And the email list itself needs to have a business model. It's not just your site. Otherwise, honestly, like personally, I prefer building social media presence. If you're just going to be promoting your content, like I'd build a, a Facebook page or something like that. And a Facebook page is this, these days actually drive pretty good traffic. Believe it or not, it's something that has come back. A lot of like niche site builders are building likes to their, are buying likes to their Facebook pages to drive traffic to their content. And it does pretty well provided the audience is targeted. Some examples of this stuff. So when we were running a, a health site of ours, we actually partnered with the guys from Truth About Abs, which was like a very popular ClickBank product at the time, which was, you know, weight, uh, fitness and uh, weight loss, etc. And literally, they were they were running our email list for a while and we just gave them the login <laughs> and they would pay us 100% of the sales in front end. So at front end and back end, front end would be the first product people buy, which is kind of like an appeal product, cost like 40 bucks, 50 bucks, something like this. Then they'd upsell something that costs maybe three, $400, maybe some coaching, maybe something that costs more money. And it'd give us all the money of the first product that we would sell, basically, we'd get 100%. And then after that, that gave that was a free legend for them, basically. So that worked pretty well. On Atari Hacker, we've done the other thing. We've done the, um, the info products, so we had our own stuff. And we've done info products in-house as well. We had no business when we started Atari Hacker, actually. We just were posting blog posts, seeing if we get some traction. We got some traction. And then eventually we learned a lot through Digital Marketer and Autoresponder Madness by Andre Chaperon. I don't know if you remember that. I'm also a big fan of Russell Brunson. He has like Traffic Secrets, Expert Secrets, etc. These books are really, really good if you want to learn this stuff. But basically the way I did it is like, and that was really the beginning of Autoresponder Hacker Pro, if you think about it. I think I recorded five videos showing exactly how we do our opt-in pop-ups. That's funny because that's the topic of today's podcast. That was just five videos and then we made a sales page that was on the thank you page when people were opting in. So we had, I um, can't remember what the opt-in was, but there was like a lead magnet. I think we had many lead magnets at that time and they were all converging to that same thank you page that was 
basically making the point that you should be having opt-in pop-ups because they fucking kill it. There was five videos showing exactly which settings I use, which angles, etc. I use, etc. And we sold that for $39, if I remember properly. We were a small traffic site. We we're getting like a few thousand visits. No, not a few thousand visits, but a few hundred visits per day, maybe like two, three hundred visits per day. But we still made like two to four sales a day, I would say, something like this when it was rolling, which already was like pretty good, better than putting ads on the site. And then after that, when that went well, we actually made a, an upsell product that I think costed $279, if I remember, called Double Your Leads, where I basically went through the same thing as I did for the pop-ups, but for other tactics, namely uh, content upgrades I did. I talked about how we pick and do lead magnets and a few other things, basically. That was already, like, with a small IM site generating literally a few hundred visits per day, really not that much. We barely ranked for anything. It was mostly ranking on inbound.org, I would say. We had like a meet four figure per, year, per month site, basically. So that gives you an idea of like how little traffic you might need to actually monetize. And that's kind of one of these things that's good when you run your own products is that you don't need as much traffic and, and you could you're not also competing on the same keywords. You kind of get out of these ranking for best keywords because that's what makes all your affiliate money, et cetera. So overall, that works pretty well. We've done uh, both models. What we haven't done is we haven't sold sponsorship. So this one we're definitely less experienced in, but I see a lot of people doing that. It's something we might experience with in the future. Like now we have a big email list, like depends how much money. If you want to offer us a bunch of money, please feel free to contact us. Yeah. Let's talk about this. But in the meantime, yeah, we haven't done that as much. Uh, but basically the model is have entertaining newsletters. So either people do a collection of news in these newsletters or they just basically write some kind of like blog post that would never rank on Google because it's just their opinion and all experience, basically. That's actually quite a good point, though, because it's, it's a really good channel to share information yeah. with your audience without sort of being constrained by any Google or social media platform algorithm kind of shoehorning you into creating That's why the best content is there. Way. Well, you know, I mean, in several industries, the best content is there because it's actually not fucked by algorithms. Like, algorithms are really good at, like, you liked one thing, let me show you a hundred times that thing and then you will like it equally each time. It's like, that's not exactly how it works, but until they figure that out, email uh, has long days in front of it. I so think yeah, that's as, a, as a content creator as well, it lets you experiment with different types of content and just be, be a bit more creative rather than creating the same thing over and over. That's why I don't write for the blog on a toy hacker anymore. Cause like whatever I write, whatever I write that interests people does not rank on Google. Like there's no point putting it for free out there when it's like, so I'd rather just reserve it for subscribers or something like this. To be frank, I should put that on YouTube. That really is where I should do that. And I hope to find the time and build a process to do that at some point. You all know that SEO content is very boring. It's just here for the people who are Googling this keyword at that moment, but it's not something that you want to email to your list. People don't care. It's like, I think uh, some people that I observe a lot, it's like, it's for, actually, no, I met Brian Dean in Lisbon, couple like a month and a half, two months ago, something. And we were talking about this actually, about the evolution of his site, like how Backlinko was like very, very popular, how you were emailing blog posts about the, at the beginning. And as time went, the engagement with blog posts was decreasing. I said, yeah, for to the point that we remove comments on our site, literally, because it's like, it was just all spam and a bunch of work and, and annoying. And he agreed actually. So it's like, don't email 
your SEO blog post, basically. <laughs> I think a lot of people still have that model in, in their head. It's a bad idea. I was just going to say, just to kind of like sum up this point, we sort of like said, have a business model first, but you know, we, we technically didn't. So is it more like have a, an idea of what you want to do with it rather than build the email list and figure out after that kind of thing? We kind of like had the idea in mind already when we started and we had done it on other sites. So it's not, it wasn't our first shot at this and it's like it's more like when we saw that like we wanted to see if we could get traction it was obviously a difficult industry to enter the online marketing niche and lots of people do that it's one of these things where you don't want to do all the work for nothing as well so you want a proof of traction and then you do it but let's jump on to the next point which is build a lead magnets that optimizes for clients slash customers and i think that's that's kind of the process right you figure out the business first then you build your lead magnet. Then you figure, and lead magnet, if you don't know what it is, it's basically a freebie you give to people in exchange for their email because nobody wants to. If you just tell someone, I'm going to send you a bunch of emails, they're probably not going to give you your email. Therefore, what you do is you offer them a freebie. So, for example, one of the recent freebies we've done on a Toy Hacker was when we did our AI survey, made a collection of some of my best prompts, and I made a short lead magnet for everyone that would fill the survey, and that worked really well. We got a lot of uh, answers. We didn't just get people's emails, we got people filling the survey as well, which helped a lot. But basically, the point is, figure out what your conversion goal is. If your conversion goal is sponsorship, like your goal is going to be to gather as big of an audience as possible within your niche, not go too broad. And then if your goal is to sell something, obviously, it's even more precise, right? So like when we sell, for example, the Autoid site system, which is like kind of like our front end offer on Autoid Hacker, the goal is to get to people who are who have the intention of starting a website. And so it's very it's very precise. It's not even everyone, but we optimize for that and we're willing to trade less conversions in exchange for the right people there so they're more likely to convert because we know exactly where we want to take them and how it makes us money. And so that's one of the things that people get wrong. They usually kind of like start the email list, then do a lead magnet, then figure out the business. You need to do the opposite. Figure out the business, then build a lead magnet, then build the list. And then once you have figured out what your lead magnet is going to be about, what you do is then it shapes your content strategy. So when you, like, for example, when we think about people who want to start a site, like what kind of keywords are they Googling so that when they land on our site, they're likely to be interested in lead magnet. And so you see how we reverse from the product to the lead magnet to the SEO and to after that, like maybe social media, etc. And so like, you really want to plan your business that way and walk in reverse rather than just go that way. And it's really, really important. And most people do it wrong, even though you might have heard it before. If you are selling sponsorship, obviously your goal is to build as big of an industry of a, a list as possible within your niche. And there are hacks to do that. So a lot of people are doing AI newsletters these days. So I'm gonna, I took that example in there. If I was running an AI newsletter, which a lot of people are, and a lot of people are growing these niches, these lists, sorry, on social media, like on Twitter, on YouTube, you know, they make a YouTube video and then they like sign up for my newsletter or they make a Twitter thread, they like sign up for my newsletter, etc. The problem is like sign up for my newsletter, not super appealing. However, what are people on Twitter interested about? I guess you don't want to ask a rhetorical question, so whatever. But they're interested in Twitter, right? People who are on YouTube, they're interested in YouTube, etc. So if you make a lead magnet on like, here's how to use AI on Twitter to get more rich, or here's how to use AI on YouTube to make better videos, or here's how you're more likely to kind of like reach these audiences. And so if I was growing that kind of newsletter, what I would do is I would actually create lead magnets for each of the channels I'm using to drive traffic. And then I would make sure 
that people, it would get me a really, really high opt-in rate, basically, which is kind of the key. Like if you get a 5% opt-in rate versus a 0.5% opt-in rate, you can reach 10 times less people and make the same size of list. So it's really important. So that's kind of like how you optimize your lead magnets and you build something that will get you the right people on your list, not just anyone. So we used giveaways very successfully in the early stages of Authority Hacker to grow our our email list quite significantly in a short short space of time. So we used to do it around product launches, actually, just sort of in the month month or so before it. And the idea with a, a giveaway is you give some stuff away. Now, if you have a decent sized audience, decent sized email list, you're relatively well known in your space. You can actually reach out to suppliers of products or services and ask them to donate a prize to the giveaway. We did this thing where we would have this big giveaway page, and you would email it to all our list with all the people who are all the companies who were offering products. And you know, we, it, we worked out the total value of everything, and there was I think over ten thousand dollars in one case. So yeah. when people see oh, ten thousand dollars of SEO tools being given away, including like there's some Ahrefs accounts in there in the early days, think how valuable that would be these days. But it, you know, people responded <laughs> to it, but the companies liked it because they got their brand, they got their links to their site and stuff as well on our giveaway page out to our email list. We talked about it on the podcast, talked about it everywhere. So it was kind of like a win-win in that sense. And the trick with tools like Gleam, although this has been somewhat nerfed in the last sort of five or six years, but back in the day, you could uh, the, people would sign up for the giveaway, enter their email, and they would get one chance to enter. But then if they invited five of their friends to join, they would get five extra chances to enter then. Or if they followed you on Facebook or subscribed on YouTube or did all these other a, actions. A lot of growth on social as well, yeah. Yeah, then they would get extra chances to win. So inevitably, a lot of people did that. And we grew our reach on all these all these different platforms. I mean, it was modest in the grand scheme of things, but for considering how small we were at the time, it was it was very significant. Now the problem is, the more we did this, and like kind of the the bigger we grew and the bigger the prize pool got, was that eventually we started getting people who had no interest in what we were doing, what we're selling, our brand, our content. They just wanted the prize, and so people were sort of creating. I remember like fake Twitter accounts and fake emails so they could subscribe and enter many times. And I'm sure people had like bots and scripts performing all these actions to, to sort of these enter. These tools, they try to catch them and they catch some of them, right? They are like anti-cheating systems. Like we use Glim.io, which is, it's not too expensive and it's pretty good. It has good analytics. It does catch like similar IPs or like cookies and stuff like that. So it catches some, but like you just get people like, in our case, we were giving up to like, I see one of our giveaways here, I'm looking at the stats, we we're giving up to $16,000 of prices actually. Again, we didn't pay for any of that, or like very little, we paid for some stuff sometimes, but not a lot. That attracted people obviously that didn't care about this, but wanted that to like resell it or whatever it is basically. And so that's kind of the problem. Giveaways, they're great because if nobody's on your email list, nobody wants to be on your email list. They're kind of like that status hack at the beginning where you just get to the first three, four, five K subscribers and then it just you look legitimate, you look interesting. Oh if five thousand other people are interested, then most likely I am interested. So they're good at that, but your open rate is gonna be a bit trash. Lots of people will unsubscribe right after. You send the first emails after you get like a very, very high unsubscribe rate. And it's like, it's part of the game. We also had some concerns around, you know, is this affecting our email deliverability if we're sending out thousands of emails that are going to yeah. bounce or no one's opening kind of thing? They're not bouncing usually, but because it, obviously if they put a fake email, 
they can't win the prizes. Oh, they've got to verify it. <laughs> so but I it think doesn't work. People use these kind of like temporary email addresses to enter them. So, But again, do they check them? I guess this, like, do you have access to them after or is that just a one-off that you have access, right? And then you refresh the page and it doesn't work anymore, these things. I think it's it wouldn't work. You can put filters like, here's a tip, for example, if you use Gmail, you can put whatever your handle is, but then you can put plus and anything you want after, and that creates another email address that you can then create filters for. So you could, I could like put my email plus spam at gmail.com, and then I could create a filter in Gmail that says anything that is plus spam at the end, throw it to the spam. <laughs> and then automatically I would be giving my email, I'd be able to interact with that, etc. But like I would never get to see whatever bullshit they send me after that, which is kind of handy. So something like that, I just gave the hack to like go around giveaways, but here you go. That's one way of doing this. So, I mean, they were great in the early days, but as we said, we, we stopped using them sort of four yeah. or five years ago, I think. It's something, I don't know, maybe we could experiment with it with again. I think there's some mm. different ways we could tackle it in terms of the prizes we were offering. The prizes are very important, actually. Like, rather than, the prizes. Yeah, rather than giving away tools or, you know, we were giving away access to our course, which also obviously people were interested in. But I've heard people do uh, sort of time. So I'll give you like a one hour consultation, one hour call kind of thing. And that may attract the more the type of people that would be interested in buying our our products rather than they they just want a free Ahrefs account or something, you know. No, I don't. I think the the tools are more likely to be. I mean, the thing is, like, if you sell like one hour of your time, it's like sure, it's great to spend an hour with you, but the virality of the contest is going to take a hit. Like, whereas if you have something that's like objective value, the chances of people sharing it will be lower and then you just hit less of that viral world that you want to hit in contests that makes them work. So I would not do that. I would keep doing tools, etc. But the thing is like, with the prizes, you need, to be, you need to be very careful because if you're giving away free iPads, everyone's going to sign up for your giveaway. And it's like, you don't get a targeted email list. You get a list of people who like iPads, which is most people, except the Apple hater, obviously. But they probably still want to win it so they can smash it. So that's the thing. It's funny you mentioned that. Like uh, we actually, in our old agency, we, we did that. So we gave away a free iPad at a recruitment fair once. And so our stand was the busiest stand in the, the in the hall. Right? I think we we're at a university trying to hire some people. And loads of people signed up uh, yeah, and but wrote their what? email down, but nobody was like seriously interested in you know of this course. type of type of job. So it just it's it wasn't really worth idea. it. Yeah, it sounds cool. I think like, it was I your mean, idea, to be fair, but <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think, <laughs> I don't think I've, I would ever give away an iPad for free. You know, so I keep it for myself. Anyway, if you're working in house and you have a boss that sucks at marketing and you just want to show some numbers. Go and do that. Give her an iPad, you'll get some attention. But if you actually want to build an email list of people who are going to buy whatever you're selling, don't do that. You need to give something specific. So in this case, for example, like an Ahrefs account or like now, like we gave away ChatGPT Plus accounts, I think, for the, um, for the giveaway as well, for the, um, the, the survey, sorry. This kind of stuff that's very specific, it's like my mom doesn't care about me giving her a ChatGPT Plus account. She, she, like she wouldn't see the value. So she's unlikely to go and sign up for this. However, the people who care about getting ChatGPT Plus, they're in our customer pool, basically. And that's kind of like how we do that. So giveaways, use them at the beginning. They're great to build social proof. Expect low quality subscribers and giveaway stuff that is basically audience defining. It tells that people are interested in whatever you're doing. So you're likely to build a more targeted list, but still expect the list to be worse than if you were doing lead magnets or if they were just signing up willingly to your email list. So that's pretty much all I have to say about giveaways. Anything else you want to add? Nope. 
Okay, the next thing we want to talk about is single opt-in versus double opt-in, right? So for a very long time, double opt-in has been pushed very hard by email providers. And to explain what is single opt-in and double opt-in, single opt-in, you put your email, you start receiving the emails. Double opt-in, you put your email, you receive an email, you need to click on a link. And once you click on that link, you start receiving the emails. Now, is double opt-in has been pushed by a lot of email providers, including MailChimp for a long time. They would not let you go single opt-in, for example, because it would make life easier for them. Because it's like, in a way, like their deliverability from their servers, because you're like on a shared server for email, they didn't have issues with that because it was all legit emails of people who open and click, etc. Gave them great metrics and it was easy. The problem is that double opt-in drops too many people. It's just not worth it. So there was a, a MailChimp, I guess, research. They found that 61% of people don't finish the double opt-in sign-up process. Another survey by Campaign Monitor found 20% of people failed to go do so as well. So, you know, we're not talking about 1% or 2% here. Um, I, I know there's big differences in the, the, the two numbers, but it's 20 to 40% may not be confirming the opt-in there, which is very, very significant. And there was a study by GetResponse where they analyzed a million opt-ins, or sorry, a million visitors to uh, sites, and then they, they tracked subscribers with double opt-in versus single opt-in. But also they tracked like clicks in the newsletter and then the number of people opening emails. And although the percentage-wise, the double opt in ended up getting much better open rate of the people who were subscribed there were far far fewer people that actually ended up as subscribers i think yeah, 3300 3, out of a million versus 12800 on the single opt in so may make your you kind of open rates and all these things feel nicer but you're missing out on a, a bigger pool of people and i think that's the the main takeaway from this well, i think the main takeaway from these numbers as well is like from the same pool of people they ended up getting an average number of people clicking from double opt in of 138 and on single opt-in 302 which is more than double so despite the fact that you're like filtering you actually can double your traffic if you go from double opt-in to single opt-in which is significant and it's like uh, getting traffic from email you already need a fair amount of subscribers cutting it in half doesn't make it easier so i would not recommend you do that i was just going to say one slight downside on this uh, of doing single opt-ins it depends which email provider you're on is that because you have so many more emails the cost gets uh, much, cost more, yeah. much higher <laughs> much quicker and it can be it's a little bit annoying if you're not kind of like you know pruning your list effectively which can be be difficult hence the need to have a business model because i'll tell you we spend four figures per month on email tools subscriptions so it's like it's pretty expensive actually and it's like i would not want to have these costs on the business if we were just emailing blog posts so yeah you need a business if you're going to do this seriously another reason for that but the thing is like there are ways to kind of like do single opt-in but be a bit smart about it so for example there are services like never bounce that allow you to filter out fake emails and what you can do is like quite often you will use a lead generation tool so you'll use like opt-in monster or you'll use convert box or you'll use Optin Monk or something like this, Thrive Leads, one of these, or Glim if you're doing if you're doing giveaways. Instead of connecting these directly to your email provider, what you do is you connect them to Zapier. Zapier then calls Never Bounce, which is a service. It, it's pretty cheap. Like it's it's I can't remember the price, but it's pretty cheap. Go and check it out. Pricing probably has changed, but basically what it does is it checks if the if the email is real. So if someone's putting a typo in their email, for example, it's a problem, right? It's like people filling their emails and putting typos. They subscribe, bam, it's in your email provider. You're sending, you're bouncing. It's not good for your stats. Then it just removes these, and then the ones that 
pass never bounce, then you send them to your email provider so that you have a layer of like cleaning it up, removing the spam emails, etc. from that. And then you still have the single opt-in experience for the users. So you're most likely to uh, get the opens, get the clicks, etc. So it's kind of like a, a happy middle for me, I would say. Another thing I would tell people is like, don't worry too much about keeping your list super clean until you have a pretty big list. I would say under 100,000 subscribers, don't even bother. I know it's gonna sound crazy. I know like a lot of email gurus was like, no, 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 etc. But like the only reason we've seen, like I've done it several times, I've, I've cleaned tens of thousands of emails from email lists, etc. And I've seen very little difference on small email lists. The reason why your open rate will go up is because your base email list goes down. So let's say you had 100,000 emails, you removed 20% of them, uh, and then your open rate was 10% before and now it's 12%. Well, that's just mathematics, right? The base is lower. All the people who open emails are still here. The people who did not open emails for a while are not here anymore. Sure, it it can be cool, but like I, it didn't increase my open rate. It's just that just mathematically, it, it, like, it, it did increase base, the open rate, but not because of any deliverability improvements. Because it didn't yeah. increase the opens. Yeah. The absolute number of opens is the same, but the open rate isn't. Let's just say that. And also, like if the emails bounce quite often, the tools will unsubscribe for you. Uh, we'll do it for you anyway. Like they will unsubscribe people who bounce. And there's a lot of tools. Like uh, I know ConvertKit has a pretty good um, email cleaning option, which uh, I wish Active Campaign could do. So if you're listening to me, Active Campaign, please uh, sort your shit out because it's not very good. But you you can use these things as well without paying extra. So overall, go single opt-in. If you really want to keep it clean, use something like Never Bounce and Zapier before you put the emails into your email list, and you will double your traffic from email, which is pretty good, I think. The next I want to talk about is basically how do you generate these leads? Like, how do you get people in? And I think it's funny, it's maybe because I hang out too much on like Twitter, Reddit, etc. But you'll see people spamming social media, basically. It's quite a lot of people trying to grow their emails by spamming social media. And I'm sure it works okay, but I don't think it can beat SEO. And that's why like the people who listen to this podcast have an advantage because most of them will have a website and SEO is by far the best lead gen provided you know how to do this properly. The business model is very simple. It's what I explained before, basically. It's like you regress your business model, you have a business, you have a business model for your email list, you find a lead magnet, and then you create, you make your content creation match the audience that is likely to opt in, even if it's not the best keywords, even if it's slightly more competitive keywords, like your keyword decision will vary quite a lot. Internally, we actually have an analytics setup where we track our revenue per lead and we can track our revenue per lead per page on the website. And I can tell you, I was actually opening it before this podcast, I was checking the stats. So we have blog posts, for example, that get six to seven times more opt-in rate than for small keywords than like big keywords because they're more targeted. And it's like quite often getting 200 visits to that blog post is the equivalent of getting eight, like two, 3,000 visits to like a big blog post or something. And so we optimize our SEO not for maximum traffic, not for any of that, but we optimize for maximum leads and maximum leads that buy. And some of these long-term keywords, like a lead's worth like 20, 30, 40 bucks to us, whereas on this big blog post, a lead's gonna be worth like $1.5 or something like that. So like the, the difference is massive. And so I don't really want to go into analytics too much, but you can push this quite deep when you have your own product. So you'll be able to do that. And what you'll realize is it reshapes how you do SEO. Like you might use Ahrefs, you might use these tools, et cetera, but it's not your primary decision maker. My primary decision maker is like, I open that dashboard, I see the value per lead, 
I see how many leads we get and the opt-in rate, and I can tell it, there's even a, a dollar number, right? It's like I can say, like I'm looking at the dashboard now. I'm not going to share it. Sorry, too many computers listening to this, <laughs> um, but uh, I can I can tell you I'm looking at a blog post that generated seventeen thousand eight hundred and three dollars in the last three hundred sixty-five days, and that has a value per lead of seven dollars forty-six, for example. So I can tell you very clearly, like, okay, this blog post has value to me, but like some other blog post that has ten thousand visits has made one sale and is worth like a few hundred bucks to me, for example. So like that will help you optimize that, but you want to plan your SEO that way. So it's going to change that completely. And I think it's a really, really powerful way to do that. And again, it's an escape from the affiliate race, you know, like affiliate uh, keyword race. It also makes it much easier to do your SEO because everybody is competing on the terms the hardest, With which get the most traffic on Ahrefs or any of these tools. But if you're optimizing for opt-ins conversions then you care more about that and so you know you put your your energy into the keywords which are are, are going to get you leads you know it's almost like you're reshuffling like your keyword tool basically because like it's like you don't look at the same numbers as everyone else and so as a result there's a lot more gaps you can identify to go after and then it's passive like it still has this beauty of SEO that like once you rank you're usually there for a while and then it's like one win is hundreds of leads, not having to spam social media every day and do all of that. And it's like by far the best model. Most people who run these kind of funnels, they will do paid ads because they can afford it because these funnels are profitable enough. But when you do it with SEO and you're good at SEO and you can combine funnels and SEO, that's the real profit maker and you can build a very high profit business. And I, I really, really think people should do that, actually. Just sort of going back to a, the tactic which we haven't used, though, which is like influencer marketing. Like, I, you know, you mentioned you see a lot of people spamming their email lists on uh, their email opt-ins on, on uh, Twitter, I think you said. On YouTube, uh, I think a lot of content creators are being sponsored for these kind of daily newsletters. Uh, you know, like, oh, I read this daily upside finance letter every day you should go subscribe to type thing. I have no idea how much they get paid or what the economics are, but I do know influencer marketing is quite expensive. So I'm wondering if these email daily newsletters are actually making money like in the near term or they're just, you know, have a bunch of VC money and they're trying to inflate the value of the business and kind of go for some kind of like capital exit like that rather than uh, actually being profitable quickly, you know. There's definitely a race to that, right? With these uh, big exits on newsletters, like there's a race to like, a lot of people throwing money at it and be like, it's going to be profitable. At least that's making me forget about crypto or something like that. But it's like, yeah, it, uh, you, you just lose your profit. Like you, you might make money and then sponsors will pay you a lot, etc. But with SEO, it's like, okay, SEO is still expensive. It's not free or anything like it takes time. But if you can get these even long tail, I mean, with AI, you could create lots of long tail queries and then capture very, very relevant leads and build an email list that's very profitable with like a small funnel attached to it or something. There's really a lot of opportunities here. And you really, it's like, it's a model that's undercovered given how good it is. And I know a lot of people kind of, a lot of affiliates especially roll their eyes and just like focus on these very competitive keywords, but like with the squeeze coming from big publishers, just Google making, building a review site more difficult these days. It's like, this is definitely an area that people need to look at. It's it's a huge opening because you can monetize heavily, very easy to rank info keywords. So yeah, that's my recommendation. Now as to how do you capture people on these blog posts, our default tactic is opt-in pop-ups. Like I think we've collected 90, 95% of emails with that. The vast majority of it has been by far the most effective. And look, I hate pop-ups. 
scale. I know you hate pop-ups. No, if like you watch, if they're your own pop-ups, sure. But if you're on the site <laughs> and you see a pop-up, you're like God, how do I get rid of this? Where's the X? I know most people watching this or listening to this also hate pop-ups, but it's really important to remember that you are not your audience. And the reason why so many sites, still including, hate pop-ups, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the reason why so many sites, including us, run them and have run them for eight years or so now is because they work. They're just so, so effective. I looked at some stats of ours uh, in Optin Monster, which is the, the tool we currently use. Um, there's a few issues there. We may, may experiment with some other uh, tools in the future. But over the last 12 months, we've had a 2.36 conversion rate from our pop-ups. And it's possibly higher than that as well because I think we have multiple pop-ups on some pages, so it increases the, yeah, the views, oh, okay. but Is that not just the, the chance pop-up? to convert. No, that's across the in, in entire site, across our account. So some more individual statistics, the like welcome mat, I think is like the full screen style pop-up, which we have on page loads, 1.94% opt-in, which is really good. Like, you know, anything over 1% is is very good, so I'm, so I'm told. Our inline pop-ups, 1.19, exit intent pop-up, 0.82. But bear in mind, our exit intent pop-up is loading after people have already seen the full screen and possibly some of the inline ones. That's as why well, if so. you add up, actually, it's 2.76% opt-in on, on desktop and 2.88 on mobile that we have, yeah. actually. I was really interested to see mobile is actually higher opt-in than desktop for us. And we're a really unusual site in that most of our traffic is still desktop. Most sites these days are the other way around by by quite some way. So I'm actually, I'm not really sure why our mobile opt-in is, is higher. Maybe it's because people see our stuff, don't have time to read it all because it's a lot of a, what we do for long-form your pop-up content. closing on mobile is harder, you know? Maybe, yeah. Or like <laughs> autofills uh, in, in some phones I know as well. So... Maybe something like that. But we got we got a little bit concerned in sort of 2016, 2017. Google put out some warnings. Basically, they're saying they're going to crack down on aggressive pop-ups and, you know, especially on mobile. This this whole, like, what was it called? The interstitial... Interstitials update, yeah. Interstitials update, yeah. They talked about it for a while. And a lot of people were a bit scared, but it never really kind of happened. Never really ended up affecting us in any noticeable way. Like our SEO performance. I mean, they rolled it out. They announced it, but I think it's so weak it doesn't really affect the ranking. It's like I haven't seen any site go down because it has too many pop-ups or something like this. Like they might turn a dial someday, which would really suck. But for now, it's like there's no effect and it's like some nerdy SEO guy is going to tell you oh but there's this this layer of the algorithm it's bad you shouldn't have pop-ups etc the truth is like go and experiment it in real life and or go on many sites and you'll see they rank just fine with uh, pretty aggressive yeah including some really big DR90 plus newspapers right they make most of their money now by ads so you load the page and there's an ad loads and there's a video loads and then it moves the article and like it's just really hard to read a newspaper um, especially on mobile and, and these days so it's really a big deal and um, it works so you should absolutely do it and you should probably if you're not kind of uncomfortable in how aggressive you're being with your pop-ups you're probably not being aggressive enough so and you're push leaving your boat, on the table for sure yeah push the boat out further than that and if you want to learn how to build all of these with all our angles i actually have a blueprint on that in h pro so if you've recently joined h pro because we had a launch recently go and check this building blueprint and there's a module showing you all that stuff and breaking down how to do it 
And if you're not an AH Pro member, but you <laughs> perhaps want to be in some future update, or you just want to see what's on our email list, then you can go to authorityhacker.com slash subscribe, and you can join our email list there. And you can see how we run an email list. Yeah, one other thing that's great with pop-ups and, and pretty much like all the opt-ins, right? Not just pop-ups, but like stuff that you might put in line or something like that, which also works really well in blog posts, is that implementing A-B testing is a lot, a lot easier than if you did it on your website normally. Quite often, A-B testing tools are complicated to use or very expensive, or they have issues with your caching system. Like everyone's optimizing for core vitals now, everyone's caching their site in their CDNs, etc. And then it's very difficult to A-B test. I think that there may be solutions in there, but it's, it's usually difficult. The good news is because these things basically kind of like live in their own little sandbox and they're just injected on your site whenever you use them, they tend to have a easy A-B testing systems and we use them much more extensively than any other form of A-B testing in what we do. And it's also one of the easiest ways to make your business more profitable very easily. Like it's not hard quite at the beginning of an opt-in to be able to just by tweaking the headline or things like that, be able to double the opt-in rate or something. Uh, I personally, I mean, because we also do ads, I often test headlines on ads like Facebook ads or something. And then the winners go being tested in on the site, basically, because then I, I can have more data on the ads. I can get like tens or hundreds of thousands of impressions in one day. I can see the results and I'm like, okay, let's shortlist these ones to test. And then I'm able to test on the site and get more. But for example, I give you an A-B test I did on a toy hacker on the pop-ups actually a few years ago, where it's like, I think the free training was advertising how to build an authority site. One A-B test I did is for the affiliate marketing category, I've changed to learn how to build an affiliate site. Just that, right? Plus 30% opt-in rate. And obviously with the increase, usually like when you get higher opt-in rate, you don't get the matching increase in sales, like you convince more people, but maybe you get an extra 10 to 12% in sales or something like this. Uh, but still like for, for like literally two words change on a pop-up. And so like these kind of things are very, very easy to test. Convertbox can do it. Convertbox is great because you can actually pay one off and not pay a subscription. I think it's like a few hundred bucks and you never pay again. Opt-in monster is more full-featured, but also a lot more expensive. So it depends. Like if, you, if I were just starting, I would start on ConvertBox. And then if you need more features, switch to Optin Monster, which is where we are right now, basically. You touched on the words in the headline there, changing authority to aff affiliate. If you're going to test something, the actual thing, the lead magnet or whatever it is, the, the offer that you're you're providing when people opt in is probably the first thing you should you should test. Um, I mean, it's, it's going to make the most amount of difference. But once you kind of like have settled on a, a good lead magnet like we have, then obviously testing the title is a good thing, the features list, the call to action box. But beyond that, I mean, I know that's everything on there, but like beyond that, things like button color and, you know, these the sort of layout to an extent doesn't really make much of a difference. And then you end up getting to this point where there's there's really diminishing returns right now. I'm sure if we we did uh, another round of A/B testing, we'd we'd get some good results. But we did it for many many years, and we we improved things. But it's just really hard to improve on it much further now. I think. No, I think the what you do when you hit where we are at, but just we don't have the bandwidth to do it properly right now. Is uh, you A/B test your lead magnet. You test new angles of lead magnets and new things that people might be interested in. For example, these uh, AI prompts were were very popular, so there's something there to dig, and you kind of like. 
dig down, you optimize the one you have and you A-B test it against other angles and see if you can beat that. But eventually, A-B testing is one of these things where it's like very easy to get great results at the beginning and eventually it gets a little bit tiring because you lose every test almost and it's it just feels like, why am I doing this instead of something else? But these are pretty easy to do, like headline tests, etc. Like it's 10 minutes, you know. What do you think about the idea of having like one central lead magnet that everything goes into or, you know, spending the extra ad- effort into making, you know, one per category or even, you know, individual ones for, for certain blog posts? It depends on the business model, I think. So it's like, if you're selling a product, you really need the lead magnet to be in relation with what you're selling. So let's say we're selling the authority site system, how to start an affiliate site slash authority site. We need the lead magnet to be in relation to that. So right now we have like seven tips that make uh, sites more successful, basically, which, which is like a free video training. But arguably, I could create more lead magnets. We could be like uh, how to pick your niche. Here's six things you need to know to not pick the wrong niche. Or like the exact site setup you need to use to make your first site, you know, the fastest possible or easiest to use or something like this, like we could make something a bit technical. So there there are things we could do. But the thing is like, if you're selling something and your lead magnet is shit, you're unlikely to sell. So you also need to put enough effort into the lead magnet so that people feel impressed when they go through it. So it's like, don't pride your effort too much, but rather make sure you have a few lead magnets that leave a lasting impression on people. And that's that's the thing. It's like I can give you all the tactics in the world, but if your execution is terrible, like you're not gonna do well. You need to actually do something that adds value to people and 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 people actually think is great, so that they're like, "This is so great! I'd love to swipe my credit card and give them uh, some extra money to get something else." Basically, and if if that doesn't happen, you're not gonna make money regardless of whatever tactics you use or whatever we share on this podcast. So yes, more lead magnets leads to more leads generally. But if you spread yourself too thin and the lead magnet quality you have is low, then your final business goal, like the first point that we mentioned on this podcast, is probably going to suffer. That would be my answer. And another thing that we like to do when we build an email list is, like as I mentioned, we do advertising, is we like to retarget people as well, right? Especially if you do the SEO model, it's so good. It's so good with Facebook ads mostly because Facebook ads and AdWords, that's the kind of like two main ones. And basically... People might opt in through the pop-ups they see or inline call to actions they see on the site when they visit our site from SEO, but sometimes they don't, right? Or sometimes they miss it, or sometimes they're not in a mood, or sometimes they're in the bus and the stop is coming and they have to get out and they didn't have time to opt in or something. And so what we do as well is like once you visit our site for like a few days, we make the lead magnet follow you with retargeting because we've put the Facebook pixel on. Uh, we have the Facebook pixel on our site that tags you, and so we can show us to you, and you can. You don't have to spend a lot. Like you can spend like 10 bucks a day, 15 bucks a day on retargeting, especially at the beginning, boost your opt-in rate quite a lot. Even if you just have an opt-in page, right? If you have like a squeeze page, you can retarget people who hit your squeeze page but did not opt-in on Facebook, on Google, etc. And the cost per lead is not it's not that cheap, right? It's like you still pay, like for us, we pay a few pounds per lead, but we're profitable on that. We get the good thing with Facebook ads and, and AdWords is you can track conversions as well. So you can see how much did I spend, how much did I make, right? And it's like, I'm like, as long as I'm break even, I keep doing that. So it just keeps growing the business. And then I have chances to upsell to people, etc. And so I very much recommend to anyone who is going for whatever we're talking about in this podcast to use retargeting to essentially capture more leads and you you might get up to double opt-in rate if you do that. When you retarget, by the way, retarget people to a squeeze page. Squeeze page, we haven't talked about that, but it's basically a page where you cut the navigation, you cut the header, you cut the footer. The only thing there is, is 
a headline, a couple bullet points on what your lead magnet is, and an opt-in form. And people have two choices. They put their email or they close the page. There's nothing else they can do. If you go on atoyhacker.com slash free training, you'll see one of these quiz pages. And that is the kind of landing page that you want to build. You can build them on WordPress, like we build them on generate blocks, the same as we build all our pages on the site. But you can also use dedicated tools like lead pages, like Unbalance, etc., to build these kind of uh, squeeze pages. They have a lot of templates that are pretty good. And if you don't know how to how it should look, go on leadpages.com, go in templates. They show all their templates and rebuild it with generate blocks for free uh, on your WordPress site. And uh, they, you can actually sort out their templates by conversion rate. So it's very easy to see what kind of templates will work really well. And that's kind of like a marketing feature for them, but you don't have to buy their tool. You can rebuild it on your site for free, basically. So that's what I would do as well. We do that quite a bit. Anything that you want to add on retargeting or anything like that? Not on retarget, but just in general. I mean, I I know we sort of we've gathered almost two hundred fifty thousand emails over the last seven eight years. How long it's been? Uh, it's like oh well, you know, you don't want you don't have eight years to to do that. Well, the best time to do it start was eight years ago, but the second best time is is today. So if you are thinking of doing it, you know, and you've got a, a business model idea in mind and the right pieces in play to to do that SEO traffic, whatever, then I would just really encourage people to to do it, to get started, to take the plan. It's a good way to break away from, as I say, that SEO rat race. I think like that's kind of the problem. Like a lot of people are stuck into writing reviews on their sites or just pub publishing content for ads. This is the, the first escape, right? It's like start building, figure out a business model, like creating info products is really not that hard. Just put a little bit of effort into it. It's really worth it. Or you can do e-com if you want, but info products is definitely the easiest if you already have writers and so on. Figure out a lead magnet, and then you already have that content on your site. If you have info content that you've been using to monetize with ads, you can run both. It's not going to affect your ad revenue that much. And you're going to start having a diversified way of making money and potentially a way to get out if ad networks don't pay as much as they do today. Like this is a market with supply and demand, so it can go up, it can go down. So my recommendation for those of you who are doing okay, but they're, they're like a bit stuck in the basic business model of building websites is to follow that blueprint because uh, it has worked for many people. And we see several people in Platinum going for this as well and so on. And we have lots of friends who've done it. And it's like, we're, we're the proof that it can work basically. So do that, listen to all of everything we've said in the podcast. And, uh, and that's the way to get out of that rat race, which I think a lot of people should look at. Final words of wisdom? No final words of wisdom this week. All right. Cool. Then thank you guys for listening. If you liked it, subscribe, like, and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye-bye.